Good afternoon, everybody. It's Debbie Q with the right shoe and a very, very sunny, beautiful day in Philadelphia. It is nice out there, folks. It's bootyful. And I'm cooking pork and sauerkraut all as well, except there's a few things wrong in the right in the world of the right shoe. One of them is that my email address sucks. Google, thanks for nothing. I pay for it too. I don't know what's wrong. I can send emails. I can't receive them. So Debbie Q with the right shoe podcast.com. I don't know. I would much rather you get to me on Instagram. The Right Shoe Podcast, underscore, underscore, or I know this is confusing. Uh, I can't even, because it's such a confusing, it's edwineden73 at yahoo.com. I know that's horrible. E-D-W-I-N-E-D-E-N 73 at yahoo.com. That's my dad's name. He passed away in 2019. edwineden seventy three at yahoo.com that seems to be working forever i used that as my dad's email address when he was still alive for his things that he would buy online hay band was a big thing for him it still works just ducky fine but all my email addresses are fucked so just go on and i still get a a lot of mail please go on to uh, instagram because i i really am very active with that i don't have time to go on anywhere else i'm sorry that's crazy my life is crazy i like instagram it's easy people get in touch with me all the time on it it just works It's really hard for people to get in touch with me. I should have kept that damn website up. Just kept it up in case anyone needed me. But anyway, please go to Instagram. It really is the best way to get me. Whatever you need or want to say, just go there and I can reply immediately. Anyway, another thing is this summer, I cannot wait, but I'm going to Yellowstone and we're going to a few other places. So I this summer, the next episode that I want to do is going to be about Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. And I want to really do like, because I know I've been inundating this with Unsolved Mysteries episodes. But right now I'm so fascinated with it. And I find that, you know, why, uh, why force you to watch all the fillers? Why well, I can give you the best of Unsolved Mysteries, you know? Uh, this summer is really crazy, so I'm afraid that Dimebag Daryl might take a little longer than normal. Just hang in there. That is coming. Uh, my Randy Rhodes and Amy Winehouse episodes got so many hits. Much the like all the rock ones, like music ones, Mayhem episode. Oddly, Diane Schuler, the one who rode the opposite direction on the Taconic Parkway. That is my most highest rated episode outside of the first one that I ever did, which is Piper the Wise episode. That was my first one. Diane Schuler's number two, but under that umbrella, it's Mayhem, Gia and Nancy Spungen, 
and Naomi Winehouse and Randy Rhodes. So I know you guys like rock or music kind of episodes. So I really want to do Dimebag Daryl because I put one post up of him and it got a lot. So I like to do stuff that people are interested in. And that was a fascinating case. Like, you know, his brother passed away a couple years ago and he died tragically and he was much loved. That's the right to horrors and dealings right now i'm going that's a good thing and a bad thing the bad thing is my email sucks i'll try to fix it in the meantime before i get to the the episode another awful tragic thing happened in philadelphia northeast philly right now 95 from academy to aramingo is cut in various parts mostly northbound but i heard that you can get on it at academy and i think southbound isn't too bad or they're letting you drive down there it's just northbound that's really messed up now last night around 6 30 a.m tanker truck overturned now whether there was somebody in it or not i still don't know they're still saying that it's really yeah it's oh wow it's still messed up yeah you still can't it's still telling me it's still telling me to go down past common to get on 95 but this tanker truck, whether somebody was in there or not, it overturned. There was an explosion. A lot of my friends that live near, and somebody on Instagram that lived near 95 heard all these popping noises. Well, what those popping noises, it was all the manhole covers flying out psh, 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 for, due to the pressure. It was a massive fire explosion. It was on TikTok and Instagram. A lot of people filmed it. And it really is messed up. I mean, 95 is just collapsed right there. It's really going to be tricky. And even around my house, because we're right near 95, you, you can just tell it's really messing things up because there's a circle near my house, one of those old-time circles. It's just backed up because people must be trying to get on 95, not knowing, and then realizing it and coming the opposite direction, and it's just crazy. So be careful on 95 between Academy and Aramingo. That's the news, folks. All bad all the time. Oh, and then I saw something the other day that is really messed up. Okay, two girls. Let me get the name of the bar. I think this was the bar they were at. I'm pretty sure. Lumpy McGee's. I think it was in that parking lot. If not, it was very close. It was right on Welsh Road. There was two girls fighting. Now, the one, I saw a video, the one goes into her car and pulls a gun out. Now, her friend, it looks like she's trying to say, like, don't do this. But she gets out of the car, and she's waving this gun around, and nobody's reacting. Everyone's just like, oh, wow, there's a gun. I'd be running the other way. No, these people just keep coming forward. And then this girl got shot. I don't know if she died. I think she did. I'm pretty sure she did. But it's just crazy. Why are people shooting each other? You know, back in the day, and, and I have to say the girl in the video looks like she's some big badass because she has a gun. Like, a big badass is someone that gets out and fights with their fists and has absolutely nothing. No guns, no knives. I don't get this new gun shit. It is so P-U-S-S-Y to me. You want to show how big of a P you are? That's the way. Shooting people. It's so ridiculously stupid. But it really freaked me out to see a gun being thrown around in the air and they're just like still walking toward her. Like that, 
You look like a bunch of idiots, okay? Doesn't look cool. You look stupid and foolish and dumb and P-U-S-S-Y to the max. All right, there's my little vent. No more guns, people. You die from that. Like, death. All right, let's get to these episodes. Now, I have two today. I was going to do a third. I might just mention it at the end. It was a very sad Unsolved Mysteries episode. It really was. And it showed the error of the times as far as when someone is autistic. But I have two doozies. One is just craziness. This is a story about the Hansons. Hans and Betty Hansen, or Hans and Betty Hansen, lived in Willow Creek, California. It was a population of about a thousand in 1971. Her, she had a, she, Betty had two kids, Becky and Donnie, and then she got married to a guy named Hans. So Becky and Donnie weren't his, but they had two twin. They had a set of twins together on December 27th, 1969, named Jill and Julie. Very cute girls. She said it was just as happy as you could get at that time. But something strange happened on November 15th, 1986. This is really weird. Or November 14th, 1986. 14th into the 15th, probably. Donnie, age 21, was visiting from Fortuna, California, about 70 miles away. He was laying on the couch. Now, they all go to bed. And at 3 a.m., Betty smells smoke. The fire was so bad, she wakes up Hans, and he gets out, and he gets the fire extinguisher. Now, he said, first thing that was weird to him, I mean, you know, you wake up, there's this massive fire. Of course, the first thing you're going to think of is your children. He said he shot the fire extinguisher down the hallway, and the first thing he noticed is a strip. He sprayed it, and a strip of fire comes back at him. So you know that is really weird. But, you know, you're not thinking in that moment like arson or anything because you're trying to get the fire out. So, you know, he's running. He's running around. They're all running around. It's chaotic. And they said that night is just a blur of flashes of just memories. So Betty gets into the hallway. Now she sees Donnie, who doesn't see her yet. And he's hanging out the door screaming, get out of here, get out of here to some unseen assailant. His whole business involved logging and wood. And it was all into this shop, this back shop. They run to the shop because there's a shitload of fire extinguishers back there. Now, first Donnie comes. Now, Betty's running back there. First Donnie comes and then she's met by Hans. He's getting a ladder. Hans is getting a ladder. And he's just thinking about the girls because he's yelling Jill and Julie's name. You know, Jill, Julie, and they're not answering. So he gets this ladder and he he said when he pushed the ladder into the window, he said, and this fire just comes shooting back out on him. And he's like, oh, my God, look at this. He's freaking out, screaming. He doesn't hear anything. So a neighbor, fortunately, they see this crumpled up figure across the street in an alleyway and it's julie it's julie hansen one of the twins and she's laying like in a in a just horrible state i don't know if the mother says we found julie but donnie suddenly says oh i was the one who got julie out and betty says he hadn't said this beforehand he said that after she was found so 
That's kind of weird thinking back. Now, at first they think Julie's in this crumpled heap, bleeding because of the fire or some sort of fire mishap when she was trying to get out. They don't realize that until that she went to surgery, that she had been shot pretty much at point-blank range by a 12-gauge shotgun. That's insane and intense. So there was basically a huge hole in her stomach. Now, her guts were hanging out. And Betty said, you know, going back and forth to the house, trying to get while they're waiting. It took 15 minutes for the fire department to get there, but I'm sure it seemed like 10 hours, you know, when you're in that kind of emergency. She said each time she came back to check on Julie, she was just amazed that she was still alive. They do find Julie's or Jill's body later in the house, like she had died from the fire. And actually, Jill died from being shot as well, but she couldn't move due to her injury, and the fire killed her. I mean, both of them killed her. She was she had been shot first. So both Jill and Julie have been shot, and then the house is on fire, and Hans had seen that strip blow back at him. Now, the investigators are looking, and they pick up three shotgun shells and a second... Oh, I'm sorry. When Hans is running out of the house across the way, he also kicks a gas can, which doesn't register at the time. He just remembers thinking it was empty because when he kicked it, it flew across the way. When investigators go back, they find a second gas can you know those little gas cans if you run out of gas on the road you have to have one of them for them to fill it they found a second one with the three shotgun shells the investigators are really hunting around especially by the shop because the house was basically an inferno and there wasn't really much to look at in there the investigators find the shotgun behind some boxes and it was the same one that had shot same make that had shot Jill and Julie. There was round-the-clock surveillance, and I guess Donnie didn't know this because about two days later, in the early morning hours, one of the officers catches what he thinks a prowler, and it's Donnie, who says that he was looking to feed his dog, which the officer... George Gatto said he knew was at a neighbor's. So we knew he was lying. And then he ultimately admits that he's going back for the shotgun. And the investigators knew that. Now, that he said the shotgun was in his car and he was shooting skeet with it or something. And he just knew that they would think it was him. So he was trying to get rid of it before they found it. I know. Sounds really freaking suspicious. Also... They found a receipt with a credit card for him buying five gallons worth of gas and the same kind of shells that day that shot Jill and Julie. So come on, people. It doesn't take rocket scientists to think who you think it is. Now, Julie, now this is so strange to me. During all this, about two weeks in, Julie recovers miraculously. And they're talking to her about what she saw. Now, her memory's kind of weird. And this is really weird to me, this whole part. She says, you know, in the beginning, she doesn't really remember. Then she says, oh, you know, it's coming back to her. She says, I saw a flash. And that's when she must have been shot. And she doubles over. 
But she said in the flash, she saw Donnie's face. Now, the doctor who treated her, I want to say very cocky, says, I don't know what they're talking about. Julie never said that. I asked her who who was there when they shot you, and she said nobody. But maybe she didn't remember. I mean, he seemed very ticked off that Hans and Betty had even suggested that it was Donnie. And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, first of all, Donnie's Betty's full son. I mean, Hans, it was his stepson, you know, but still, I'm sure he grew to love him. And it's Betty's full son. You think she wants to even think that it's Donnie? So why the heck would she say that Jill said, uh, Julie said that? It really was very disturbing to see how ticked off the, I don't know, let me play it. Maybe you can see if, if I'm just, have it wrong. All right, this is Norman Bensky. I don't know. Maybe I'm just... I just don't know why he seems... Uh, uh, I'll play it for you. I never uh, found out why she said that she saw Donnie in the flash. She definitely did not tell me that. She told me she saw nobody, uh, specifically. When I questioned her about that situation, I said, who, who did you see or did you see anything? She said, I saw nobody. But he seems real cocky about it. Like, dude, maybe she just fucking remembered. I don't know. It really ticked me off a little bit. Like, you think Betty wants to think that her son had anything to do with this? Oh, he said he was going trap shooting. That's what Donnie claimed. I mean, this is really messed up. Like, they take him in. They question him. He admitted he lied about with the dog, and he was trying to get the gun. He said two intruders were in there. You know, and the lawyers are going back and forth, and I have to admit, it's very strange. Okay, you say two intruders came in, and they shot Jill, and you were standing in front of the intruder, and that's why Julie saw you. I'm sorry, I get Julie and Jill mixed up. When, Jill, when Julie was getting shot... Donnie claims that there was two intruders in the house, and the reason she might have seen Donnie's face was because he was standing in front of the intruder. But the prosecutor brings up a great point. Why would they shoot two girls and not shoot Donnie? You know what I'm saying? Unless he was in on it. It's, you know, and Hans believed that he was trying to get some of the life insurance money. Like, he... And there was a whole thing. I, I went to Reddit and all this. Now, there was many great points people were trying to make. When Donnie was screaming out the window, get out, one of the people in the comment section said, you know, I think he was yelling at Julie to get out, trying to make it seem like he was trying to help her when he was actually the one that shot them. Also, they were saying because of what ultimately happens at the courthouse, when they, they do put Donnie on trial, some people were saying because the only thing on the table was the death penalty, these prosecutors were really going hard and heavy that the ending might have happened because the only thing they put on the table was the death penalty. And someone suggested, like, wow, it'd be really hard to convict a 21-year-old and sentence him to death. He was acquitted. Which is insane when people look back because everyone in the comment section believed Donnie was guilty. Very, very few thought he wasn't. Very few. I'm talking one out of like a hundred. I believe he was guilty. Just come on. He was going back to get the shotgun. Period. The end. He didn't know the cops were there. 
that alone is so circumstantial, but so on point. I really, I mean, that's horrible because they were his sisters. And then someone was saying because Julie was across the street, somebody had suggested rape, like he was trying to rape her. I don't know. That's crazy to me. I, I didn't get into that too much. It is weird. The whole thing, the fire, everything. The mo- the person that I felt so bad for was this Betty Hansen because she really was going through hell. This is one of the one time that Betty was speaking out about how she felt when she had brought Donnie to talk to the investigators. And as they were walking out, this is what the cop told her was going to happen. And Betty was just beside herself. That was a pretty low point in my life to see my son arrested for the murder of my daughter. It was just unbelievable. And I kept thinking, when am I going to wake up? When's this going to end? Uh, It was just, I can't describe it. There's just no words. I mean, that's got to be the worst. So then Julie's in the hospital. She's finally recovering. You ain't going to believe this. I still, I scarcely believe it. I think Donnie must have come in there and done something or somebody. Julie's in the hospital recovering almost from a shotgun blast, almost would have recovered. She dies of an air bubble, a freak accident. That doesn't happen anymore because when I was in the hospital, I kept seeing air bubbles and I was freaking out. Now the nurse explained it to me, but I was so sick at the time, I don't know the exact reason why but she says that doesn't happen anymore they fixed that you cannot get air bubbles anymore or if you do it's really going to be a freak accident but she died so julie dies from a freak accident when she could have lived without this air bubble and it gets worse folks the attorneys are going back and forth about you know Come on like this is ridiculous i mean the kid was obviously something's going on Donnie had a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it was there's a reason that circumstantial evidence is still evidence. Defendant Donald Hansen uh, brought the gun that was the murder weapon to the scene. He brought the shotgun shells uh, that uh, killed those two girls. Uh, he hid the murder weapon. He lied about all of those things. Uh, that was strong evidence. It absolutely was, because, but I think because he went so hard with the... I agree with the comment section, because they said he should have given something more than just the death penalty. I mean, I know what he was doing, and he was totally correct, but he, it, I, it also backfired. So there, the cornerstone of the defense theory's argument was neighbors that saw two, they claimed they saw two men running in the night. Again, I went back to the comment section and they were saying perhaps it was Donnie and Julie running across the street. A lot of people had this feeling that Donnie was trying to rape Julie that night. I, that just, it too mind blows me to go there, but it's possible. Anything's possible. This is defense attorney William Bragg to give his side of the story. There were a tremendous number of unanswered facts and occurrences that that happened that night that the prosecution couldn't explain and which were not consistent with Donnie having been involved. I was able to come up with at least a suggested scenario that tied all of the unanswered or the majority of the unanswered factual 
question together. The person had found Donnie's shotgun outside and for whatever reason decided to bring it inside with some shells. Picked the lock, came through the sliding glass door. They just spread the gasoline around the uh, living room area at the front of the trailer, the, the kitchen. They certainly didn't seem to care that people were asleep in the trailer. They went throughout the trailer and spread the gasoline. At some point during the activities of, of the perpetrator, uh, Julie was awakened. She comes down the hallway and uh, walks in on the perpetrator, who then that particular point apparently was uh, to the left of Donnie as he was lying on the couch uh, and somewhat behind him and he shoots her as she's coming out the hallway and uh, she goes down that's what wakes Donnie up Donnie picks Julie up takes her out on the, the front porch deposits uh, her there okay you're up you stay here on village hill some unnamed, unknown mass. This is Terry Farmer. Uh, are in your house, uh, killing people and burning the place down, and you're standing right next to them, that they'd shoot you too, wouldn't you? That's the thing. They would shoot you. I, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it. you know, this case was a real shame because I do feel that Donnie had something to do with it. So does Betty Hanson. She says so at the end of the episode i mean donnie he tries to explain himself they they hid his identity they hid his face they they hid they altered his voice this is him trying to explain himself i'll play this real quick if i know who had would have done this i would not have put my life on the line through a jury trial through a death penalty case that covered them up for someone that killed my sisters that i loved I realize that nothing has been done or has been done since my acquittal to uh, take steps to solve this case. I think the only way this case will ever be solved is if someone's conscience gets to them. I mean, the thing is, then if you're not covering it up for anybody, then it was solely you. There's no doubt in my mind he was somewhat involved. I'm sorry. I Just the prosecutor saying that, you know, if they're going to shoot Julia, they're going to shoot you too. It's true. I feel really bad for Betty Hansen. You know, I don't know what happened to Donnie. He obviously changed his name and moved away. And I don't know, maybe he's dead or alive now. But karma has a way of getting people. I truly believe that in some way or fashion. I feel really bad for both of them, Hans and Betty, but particularly Betty. A mother's love, you know, goes far and wide. No matter what your kids do, I'm sure you still love them, but hate what they did. So that really sucks. I can't imagine the pain. That, that, that was a hard case. And then both of the girls died. You know, she said, all I have is memories. The next case I'm going to do involves Steve and Doreen Marteo of Rhode Island. Okay, I'm back. I had to take a quick break. I just made pork and sauerkraut, and it is ba-bomb. The bizarre case of Stephen and Doreen Marfio. This guy is insane. Okay, this case, you're going to freak over this case. I mean, I freaked over this case. I, I just can't believe. Oh, my God. Some people are nuts. So, Steve and Doreen 
Marfio, they were married for 12 years. They Oh, wow. They met in 1976. So they were together 14 years. She was born July 5th, 1955. March 29th, 1990, Steve Marfeo came home to find his house silent. A small suitcase was missing. And Doreen, his wife of 12 years, was nowhere to be found. He noticed some of her clothes were missing and $600 and a small safe. However, her 1984 Ford Tempo was still there. She left behind everything else, her cats, which I'm sorry, nobody leaves without their pets. There were no notes, no letters, nothing. 34 years old when she disappeared. Since then, there have been no confirmed sightings or anything. She just disappeared in a thin air. Following her disappearance, Stephen spent $7,000 searching for her. He believes she is still alive. He was offering a $5,000 reward, but the police think that Stephen is behind this. Bling, bling, bling. Let's go back in time to when they met. Stephen and Doreen met in 1976, and they were both like active people, and she was a strong individual. Now, I have to say, in the older pictures of Stephen, he was hot. I mean, he was hot, smoking. But I believe he was one of those, you know, dickhead kind of players that, you know, you're my wife, you're my property, and he ruled her with an iron fist. Like, he believed she was always cheating on him, and she was always, and he was probably banging everything. And I'll tell you why I think that afterward. You know, he broke her down. He emotionally broke her down. In October 1989, a small crack appeared in their perfect world. She abruptly quit her job saying she needed a change. And this was a surprise to everybody. Although I believe Stephen was behind it. According to Stephen, Doreen suddenly became just crazed on a verge of a nervous breakdown. She was strong and independent and suddenly she was weak and unsure of herself. Why is that? Because he broke her down. I know that he was behind this. I just know it. He was one of those guys. She would cry and shake, and all he would do was hold her. He, they were always comfortable talking about everything. But that night, the night before she disappeared, he asked her, why, what is going on? And she said, I can't tell you right now, but I'll tell you at another time. After she just now this guy follows her to the ends of the earth, sends, you know, people, he gets PIs before her disappearance because he believes she's cheating on her. He always has somebody following her, but she's missing for two days and he doesn't nothing. He just assumed that she needed sometimes to sort things out. Finally, he called Laura, the mother, and she said, I haven't seen her for over a week. Laura recalled that when he called her, he, she sounded strange. When he asked her about Doreen, she knew that something was wrong and told him to call the police. After Doreen was reported missing, Stephen, uh, the police questioned her family and friends. However, no one knew what could have prompted her to leave. Now, this is the weird part. So the cops, and this is rightfully so... This one officer, I was cracking up. I mean, he's right, you know, and I'll, I'll let him say it because he says it very well. What he thought when this guy, Stephen, as they're investigating, this was what he came to the conclusion of after a while. This was Officer 
John Nardolio. Basically, what you have is you have a man who has a personality who has his wife followed around for 11 months for no reason at all. And this same man, later on down the road, his wife disappears. She's missing for two days. And he has no concern to, to follow her or call her or, or, or to report it to the police. I mean, that's totally inconsistent with his personality when he has her followed around for no reason. Here you have your wife missing now for two days. And you don't think anything unusual? You don't, you don't make any phone calls or call the police? It's not consistent. It's not only not consistent, it's it's out of character with his personality completely. So I think about two and a half months go by, and on June 13th, 1990, the police start getting these letters. Now, the first letter says that she's real classy um, on the outside, but inside she's this piece of crap who's always cheating on his husband, cheating on her husband with all these guys at work. And, and this letter goes on to name several individuals at work. Now, the cops, again, go through this letter, and they, they actually question the named people. And the one guy was elderly, and he was like, are you kidding me? Like, Nor- Doreen was not like that. So the police were like, you know, we just feel that Stephen might be behind this because it just seems like something. It's just what kind of letter is this? Who sends what killer is going to send a letter that this girl is a piece of crap and she's hitting on or she's having sex with so, so and so. It just didn't make sense. The first letter that we received uh, mentioned names of people that she was involved with that we spoke to who were totally surprised to even uh, have the police question that their name was even mentioned in this investigation. Uh, one of them was an elderly gentleman. Uh, I mean, we talked to co-workers. There was absolutely no inclination of Doreen having an affair with anyone. Her co-worker says that was totally out of her character. Uh, she had mentioned just a normal conversation with her co-workers that that's something she would never be involved in or tolerate was any type of marital affairs, even long before she disappeared. So now this is when I'm totally blown away because now this lady is missing. I still can't get over this. This is one of the most low down things I've ever seen on Unsolved Mysteries. Like mind blowing, mind blowingly scumbaggy. This woman is missing and her sister has the balls to get on national TV and say, oh yeah, my my sister just cheated and we talked her out of it one time and, you know, I, Stephen didn't do this. So everyone in the comment section was saying, this bitch is probably banging them. But listen to her. You can, I just can't get over this. I cannot get over her sister. She was having an affair, and the guy that she was having the affair with was leaving or wanted to have her leave with him to wherever he was going. She was pretty worried, very upset about what she should do. And she came to me and eventually to my husband to talk about it. And we all decided that probably the best thing she should do was not, not do what she was thinking of doing. So this had been her thought that had passed through her head before. I mean, can you imagine? Her name's Lorna. This is your sister, man. I just, that is so sleazebag to me. I'm sorry, unless you hated your sister, I cannot imagine doing that. That is terrible. I, it really makes me look down on this woman. I just, I don't know her, but having been with emotionally freaky men in the past, I have to say that when 
some guys that I was with that were very domineering and I knew early on this just ain't going to work. I would be like calling other people like, you know, what should I do? Should I, you know, and, and I have this feeling that maybe Doreen was doing the same thing and felt that she should go to her sister, but that was obviously in the wrong place. You know what I mean? Like you're asking for help. If somebody's reaching out, especially, I don't know. I, I just don't think people have affairs I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into it. I, I, I sometimes put myself in the place too much. So I don't know these people. Maybe they're all nutbags. I don't know. It just really freaks me out that her sister would get on and say that. It really freaks me out. And she is so adamant that Stephen didn't do this. It's suspicious. It makes her look suspicious. Like, were you having an affair with Stephen? So then this is so another letter comes in. It says, Stephen got hot under the collar. He made for couch, which is such a weird way of saying things. This guy, Stephen, I just have a feeling it was him, and he's a freak all over. Stephen got hot under the collar. He made for couch and strangled Doreen. On a narrow dirt road, he stopped and deposited wife's body in reeds in a pond. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think Stephen typed those letters. They found, the investigators found a typewriter that matched these letters consistently. Stephen was the only person that even came up as having motive or whatever to, for killing this girl, Doreen. Now, Stephen gets on and he's just like adamant it's not him. You know, these investigators don't know what they're talking about. I am totally innocent. And the mom, like you could tell the mom, she, I think she knew deep inside, but she just couldn't, you know, this guy, Stephen was so good that he couldn't wrap his head around it. And uh, I, this guy, Stephen was so good. She, the mom couldn't wrap her head around him actually doing that to her. Didn't want to wrap her head around it. I really think the sister was banging him. I That was my impression. Sorry, it's my podcast, my impressions. And I think that I know that Stephen Killer. I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind. And there's a reason I think that. It has nothing to do with my little suspicions. There's other things that come. But here's his sister, her, her sister, saying how innocent Stephen is. Everybody calls me an optimist, and everybody says, oh, Steve Keller, but I don't believe that at all. Uh, none of his friends do as well, the ones that I know, that I've talked to. Uh, I myself don't. The police do, but there is no evidence. They've tried to convince me that he did do it. There's a possibility. But in my mind, when I see the way Steve acts when a mail comes, a phone rings, as I said, that goes back. He still thinks that she's alive. No, he's just a good liar. He knows that she's watching. He knows she's a little suspicious, the mom. So whenever the phone rings, oh, I better act like I'm looking for Doreen. Because ultimately what happened, Steve stayed in the house that they lived in. He carried on with his charade that I'm innocent, innocent. But a couple years passed. After these proclamations of his innocence, and nine years after Doreen disappeared, Stephen Morfeo fatally shot an ex-girlfriend, wounded her boyfriend, then committed suicide. <laughs> 
So what do you think happened? Yeah, I mean, this is what the police had contended before he fatally shot his ex-girlfriend and killed himself. Whenever he would visit Laura, the mother, he would call her house to make sure she was actually there. He would also call at work to see what she was doing and who she was with. He changed his story several times during the police investigation. They discovered he took a 70-minute lunch on the day she vanished. Normally, it was 20 or 30 minutes. He, they felt suspicious that she, you know... He, he follows her around all this months before, but two days pass by, nothing. That, that's literally impossible. I do believe he wrote the letters. Some were suggesting the sister wrote the letters in the comments. And he killed his 38-year-old ex-girlfriend, Laura Vincent, and seriously wounded her new boyfriend, Salvador Poleo. He then drove to a secluded reservoir in Connecticut and committed suicide when a state trooper approached him. The suicide mentioned that he was alive nine years too long and he felt guilty for Doreen's disappearance. He didn't say anything past that, but come on. I mean, her case can't be closed until her remains are found. A search of the area near the reservoir where Stephen committed suicide turned up new traces of her. Her family now believes he was responsible, but still hopes to find her remains. I mean, I wonder what that sister feels like now. I, I really think something was going on between them. Um, the mom, I feel so bad for because I think she was probably bullied by, you know, Stephen. And maybe even the sister. I Leopards don't change their spots. You know, he probably felt so guilty about Doreen. And he couldn't handle anyone like leaving him. And then when the, when the ex-girlfriend left and she got another boyfriend, what did he do? He went over and killed her. So that was the case. I just, those two cases stuck in my mind. There was another case that I was going to do. It didn't end in a strange death, but it ended in a strange disappearance and could have been a death. I mean, we don't know for Doreen, actually. But this kid, Gordy, what was his name? It was such a sad, sad case. His name was Gordon Gordon Page. He was an autistic guy. Uh, he disappeared May 27, 1991. He was born in 1963. He was a cute kid. I mean, you could tell, like, like his, his mom and dad always thought he was slow. He had two younger brothers, Lance and Todd. Um, he was always, like, big, slow, and clumsy. He had gotten a, a job at a supermarket, and they, they fired him because back then they didn't hire people that didn't see, you know. He, there was obviously something up with him. But they always thought he was schizophrenic, and they tried to medicate him as such, and they basically tortured this poor guy. Now, I could, this is one of the few unsolved mysteries I, I can't watch the whole way through because it upsets me so bad. They just, like, he, you, the father was just beside himself. He said, like, they tried to medicate him, and finally, through a series of events, he goes to this one psychiatrist who says, I don't think Gordon is schizophrenic. I think he's... A highly functioning autistic. So they try to put him in a home, which I guess they thought was the best at the time. But what happened was after he, he cried to his father that, please take me home. And the father just felt guilty. Oh, it breaks my heart. I, I can barely. And the father just 
didn't, you know, he felt guilty forever because what happened was Gordon ran away. They never found him, and they found his little baseball cards at the, he knew every batting average and all the stats, and they found it under the bridge, and they never found Gordon, and I hate that case, and that's why I didn't think I could get through it. I can barely get through the synopsis of it. It's so heartbreaking, and I don't know. They still have pages on Facebook, like Find Gordon Page, so if you want to look it up, look up Gordon Page. Uh, It's you know, the dad died in 2018 and the mom's still alive. And that would be awesome to find this guy or whatever happened to him. That's a shame, man. I, that's why I didn't want to do that case. It's just, out of all the cases, I said, I, you can, God, you can say anything, you know, this head's getting ripped off. And, but when it comes to like, like, you know, back then they just did not understand any mental, disorder at all they they didn't understand autism they didn't understand all of the sub umbrellas of autism i mean because there are a lot and autism wasn't even really they never said the word autism in the 80s i've never even heard the word autistic until i was an adult so that's something that was very misunderstood for a long time and that really is upsetting you know, he's probably a really good kid, and in today's world, he probably would have gotten much better help. They, they just—it took till he was 27 before that one psychiatrist realized he was not schizophrenic at all. So that's the right shoe for today. I really want to deep dive into the Dimebag Daryl case. Well, the Dimebag Daryl's life next because I was always a big fan, and when he died, I was shocked. And that's Debbie Q with the right shoe. And I'll see you next week. I, or I'll see you soon. I don't know when, but I'm getting there. Just give me time. Have a nice night.